Hello, and welcome to the Business Aviation Collective Podcast, sponsored by LD Aviation. Today, we get a chance to talk to Nick Hausman. He's the co-founder of Azera.com. He's also the owner and president of Zenith Jet, and he's the co-owner of Elite Avia. Welcome, Nick. Hi, nice to talk to you. You as well. Thank you very much for taking your time to tell us your story and, and tell us about the companies that you started. I think let's start with Azera.com. So that's your newest one, and that's all about sustainability. And that's a huge topic in aviation and in the world in general these days. So what does Azera.com do? Uh, well, the, the history of Azera is we founded it about 18 months ago, and it really grew out of Benitabia and a desire to do something more, let's say, purpose-driven. Benitabia is based in Europe and is covered by the European Union Emissions Trading Scheme. So in 2021, we had to start measuring the fleet and, and seeing the carbon emissions from the fleet. Mm-hmm. Based on seeing those numbers, it felt like there was something that we should be doing about emissions from business aviation. So we founded Azera to offer solutions to business aviation operators and users to track their emissions and also offset their emissions, either through using SAT or buying voluntary offsets, or in Europe especially, operators are covered by the government scheme. So they don't have a choice, but they have to buy allowances if they if they go above a certain threshold. So we're okay. providing those solutions to the operators to either comply with the European Union's emissions trading scheme, which I expect a lot of different countries are going to implement something similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voluntary decision by operators to offset their emissions or use SAF, uh, sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, as a way of reducing emissions. Very cool. So as your, is Azera available to pretty much any operator in the world? Are you focused in Europe or the US? Uh, we're, it's available to anybody. We've built a platform that through an API connection can link into scheduling software and automatically determine your emissions per flight. Nice. So we're, our focus right now is business aviation because that's, our background, my co-founder, Pooja Mahajan, is the former CEO of uh, Elite Abia and Expo mm-hmm. Barge. So she has a long business aviation history, but it's really targeted to aviation. So that can be commercial airlines, can be cargo, can be business aviation. But the long-term future for Azera is to do this in other industries like shipping that have the same issues as aviation. Sure. Okay. So I love the fact that that you guys integrate with the scheduling softwares because we do a little bit of this, not not a lot, but we were doing Excel spreadsheets and putting all of the calculations in there, and it's a little cumbersome and difficult yeah. to <laughs> to figure out, especially when you're doing it once in a while. I mean, you guys obviously do it all the time, so it's probably very easy. But for an operator that we might represent, it might just have one airplane or maybe two airplanes, and um. It's difficult to do it. It is, and it's even more difficult in Europe because there are so many caveats to the measurements. So if you emit more than 10,000 tons, you're, you're, you have to comply. If you do more than 243 flights a quarter, you have to comply. If your aircraft is less than 5,700 kilos, you don't have to comply. 
flights are from Europe to somewhere else, you don't have to comply. So there's there's a whole bunch of factors that you have to take into account. And if you try and do that in a spreadsheet, it's, it's very difficult. Um, yeah. Even even for one aircraft, because you know what happened six months ago. I mean, nobody can remember. It's sort of so that that's why making it automatic is is better for the operators, just easier. Yeah. And also, it gives you the opportunity as let's say an owner or a user to offset voluntarily. There are a lot of owners in business aviation who feel like they should be offsetting. Yeah. I think the the other thing about the European Union ETS scheme is. A lot of operators, at least initially, thought, well, I'm covered by that scheme. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you from Militavia, we ended up covering only 5% of our emissions because there were so many exclusions. Really? So 95% of our emissions we didn't cover. Uh-huh. That's where the voluntary contribution comes in, where owners are saying, I want to cover whatever I'm generating, uh-huh. uh, or I want to try and use staff, sustainable aviation fuel. The challenge at the moment with SAF is it's not readily available, especially right. internationally. And I think also people are sort of hanging their hats on SAF is the answer. The problem mm-hmm. with SAF is the production of SAF is, is not even going to be close to what we need. For a long time, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. So then you end up back at voluntary offsets. And the challenge in the voluntary offset market is... Two, twofold in a sense. Number one, people really have no clue what their emissions are. That's, mm-hmm. that's the first thing that I see from talking to customers. And then the second thing is, okay, so now you've told me I emitted 7,000 tons. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do now? Like what kind of project should I buy voluntary offsets for? You know, what makes sense? So that's, that's another part of the, the business of Azera is advising clients. So what makes sense to purchase based on whatever that company is trying to achieve. Let's say they want to support a project that does carbon capture or they want to support a project that plants trees in Panama, for example. It is really driven by whatever the company is is looking to support. Okay, so there's multiple or lots of options on how to yep. offset. Okay, because I guess I don't, I didn't realize, I think I've just seen like you can buy points or you can buy, I don't know, tickets basically to offset it. But you're saying there's lots of different programs. It's literally thousands of projects that you potentially buy offsets for. Could be renewable energy, could be tree planting, could be carbon capture, could be blue carbon, which is related to ocean offsetting. Um, yeah. So there are lots of different projects with lots of different additional benefits, either economic development you know, underdeveloped countries. So there's there's lots of different parts to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, our our goal with our platform is to make it easy for the client to number one measure and then offset automatically, either using a credit card or just making purchases of offsets. Let's say once a month or once a quarter. So potentially, it like if I'm the dispatcher, I connect your program with my scheduling software. And it reads and it goes back and forth and it says, I went over to Europe and I did these, you know, 10 different flights. And then your program says you have generated this much carbon and yeah. you, like you said, do it on a monthly or quarterly basis. I can go back in there and depending on what my company's vision might be, I can select a project that aligns with my company and offset those carbon emissions. 
all in one platform. Okay. All right. That's great. That's that's wonderful. Because I think I have um I don't have a lot of experience with with this type. I bought, I've had uh facilitated some purchasing of staff, but you're right, it's okay. very difficult to find. It's a bit more expensive, but it's harder to find. It, I guess that was a, our biggest issue. We can find it more here in California, I think, than most of the other states. I think because we have some legislation that is a little bit yeah. more favorable here. Yeah, um, and I think the price is also an issue with SAF. You know, when you say to clients, hey, uh, would you like to use SAF? I mean, the answer is, yes, okay, tell me about SAF. And then when you mention it's sort of three to five times the price of Jet A, it's wow. Yeah. Um, that's that's where voluntary offsetting comes up as let's say option two. If the price of SAF is just way out of out of whack with what the owner is willing to pay, then mm-hmm. voluntary offsetting is a, is another option. That's great. Now, and you are your company will eventually also go into maybe other industries, right? Personal, perhaps uh, shipping. That's the longer term goal. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, we've really been focused on business aviation, but we're actually exploring a project with the Canadian government to measure the commercial aviation operators in Canada. Okay. So there is a program coming called Corsia. That oh, yeah. All airlines operators will have to comply with by 2027. So we are working with the Canadian government because they recognize that they're going to have to be part of this to measure the fleet. Okay. Um, so our, our platform, we're in discussions with, with Transport Canada at the moment about using the platform to measure certain operators. Hopefully we'll we'll get that rolled out in the next three to four months. But again, you know, the commercial aviation business is let's say a much bigger user uh, aviation fuel than business aviation just because of the amount that they utilize the aircraft. Sure. That makes sense. And Corsia, could you give me just kind of a little blurb on what does that mean? What is it going to do? Uh, well, the program itself is similar to UETS. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's a program that uh, has been endorsed by ICAO. Okay. Uh, and it covers, I think at the moment, about 110 countries have agreed to participate. So what's been agreed is that flights between Corsia states that have agreed to participate will need to be offset, okay. measured and offset. The difference between the Corsia program and the EU ETS program is the money that you are spending to buy the offsets is not going to a government. Like in EU ETS, you're actually buying from the European Union. Whereas okay. in Corsia, you are buying voluntary offsets. So it's a quasi sort of compliance scheme where you, let's say you fly from you know, Los Angeles to Beijing, those two countries are participating. So you need to offset that flight, but you're not going to a government to get the offset. You're going to a marketplace to buy these offsets. And our hope as ERA is that we are that sort of marketplace that people will come to to buy the offsets. Right. Yeah. Cause you can measure them straight from there. Yeah. That's a- yeah. And you don't necessarily need to, to be measured by our platform. You know, mm-hmm. if you know that you generated 150 tons of carbon emissions, then you can just buy 150 tons and offset yourself. Okay. That's very cool. Now, Azera, you said you're only 18 months old. So this is a new company. I'm sure you've had lots of 
thought process behind it, though. I mean, it takes a lot to think about a company before it actually comes in. And I saw a blurb about you guys winning a chance to go to Singapore. Right. Can you tell me about that? How did you win it? Uh, we participated in an accelerator program in Europe, F10. Uh-huh. Uh, and so F10 is, is an organization that helps startups. And based in Scandinavia, we spent quite a few months working with them, going to Scandinavia, participating in the courses. So what the accelerator does is sort of advise new startups about running a startup, getting a startup going, you know, the legal side of it, the marketing side, the sales, admin, all that type of, uh, all the stuff you have to do to get a startup off the ground. There's uh, a lot, yeah. Yes, there is. So we went through that sort of course and F10 recommended us to participate in the event in Singapore. So we went to represent essentially F10. Okay. Out of the hundred companies that were part of their accelerator, we were the one that was chosen to go. Um, so we went, we did our pitch in Singapore and we won an award, which came with a $20,000 check. Nice. Right. And it was good exposure for us. It was interesting because the uh, sort of, at that time, Bitcoin and, and all the coins were, were sort of at the height of their popularity. Everybody was focused on that, but you know, three weeks later, I think it was the the uh, the platform that collapsed in the U.S. and went bankrupt. So we, all of those businesses, uh, the shine came off them very. Oh man, that's that's crazy. But that's that's in the whole startup kind of section that Azara's in, and I have participated with in an accelerator of sorts many years ago, and I just I'm not sure if other of our listeners have done it before, but it's it's a really cool process. And F10 is probably bigger. I mean, I think I did this 10 years ago or something like that. Okay. And how long is your pitch? I guess I should say, for those who haven't ever done one, when I went, every company or every group came in with what they thought was going to be this next great company, and they were trying to pitch it or sell it to the people that are there, like grading you or deciding if what you have was correct. And you don't have a lot of time. To do it, you have to be kind of short and concise. Is that what you guys had to do? Yes. So F10's role was to help you refine your pitch. So for example, the event in Singapore, we had three minutes. So yeah. we had three minutes to pitch. So that really gets you focused on what are the main things you want to get across in three minutes. So you really have to refine what you're trying to say because I mean, we've all been to presentations that drawn on for like 30 minutes and nobody really listening. So, you know, with a three-minute pitch, you really have to get to the point really quickly. Yep. And it's the same with potential investors. You know, potential investors, they just, they just want to get to understanding your business and does it make sense for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of the process of Azera, we've had to talk to many different investors and Personally, I've never really worked with venture capitalists, yeah. but because of Azera, now I'm talking to, to VCs a lot, and you see the thought process from the VCs depending on what, what their sort of investment criteria are, and they just, they just want to get right to the point of why would this work? And sure. Not necessarily 
is it the next big thing, but will it have the impact that it says it's going to have, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the environmental space? So we're, we're out there pitching the business. Uh, we obviously want to grow the business into more than just aviation. We think it can help because the first step in any sort of environmental journey is understanding, well, what are my emissions? So the Zenith jet business is, is really a, it, it grew out of my experience at Bombardier. So when I left Bombardier, I founded Zenith jet and it was really focused on maintenance, but in the last um, sort of two years, we've been focused on carbon accounting, um, again, in business aviation, because we recognize that a lot of business aviation users have, have no idea about carbon emissions. Yeah, that's right. And so we started offering this as a service, and we've been surprised that not only have we been doing business aviation, but we've been doing lots of other industries too, because there is a big demand for it for a bunch of reasons. Number one, people want to understand. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's a lot of government regulation coming that, that is essentially going to require you to measure your emissions. Sure. We want to be prepared for that. Nobody wants to get slapped with a fine because they did it wrong. And no. If we switch or, you know, look over at Zenith Jet. So you said you were with Bombardier for quite a, quite a while. Then you, you founded, um, Zenith Jet. You've been, Zenith Jet has been around for like 16 years now, right? Uh, yeah, 15 years. So I founded Zenith Jet in March of 2008. I left Bombardier. You know, the market was doing really great. Top of the market. Six months later, it wasn't such a good decision. <laughs> right. but, uh, but that was nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, there was about a year there where it was really uh, bare bones mm-hmm. uh, as the market really bottomed out. Um, but after that, we've, we've done pretty well since. And yeah, we, we've grown the business. We have done many projects for all sorts of different aircraft types, both completions management and major maintenance, oversight, refurbs. Okay. So that that was really what the business was focused on. And that's what the business does today, as well as the uh, carbon accounting. So we sort of got two parts to the business now. Sure. The business jet focused piece, the technical mm-hmm. consulting, and then the carbon accounting. That's great. And okay, then let's move over into Elite Avia. Elite Avia was originally started, and correct me if I'm wrong, over in Europe. And you're, you're very big in Europe. And now you've just recently started an America's branch of that. That is correct. So the business was founded in 2006, and I joined the business in 2010. So originally, the company was founded in Slovenia, Okay, and we had a Slovene air operator certificate. Uh We got an air operator certificate in Malta in 2014, and that's where the business is really focused now, is Malta. Okay. Uh, There are about 20 air. We operate everything from a, you know, a Gulfstream 450 to a Boeing 747. And in April of this year, we acquired a Part 135 certificate in the U.S. Uh-huh. We acquired the company that owned it. Can't acquire the certificate, but we acquired the company. Okay. Yeah. And so we've expanded into the U.S. The international market is 
you know, in, in relative terms is small compared to the U.S. market itself. You know, 65% of the business jets in the world are still in the U.S. Interesting. So it, was always, it was always a market we wanted to be in. Now we, we've sort of joined the market, which we hope will give us, you know, global coverage. We're, we're already in the international markets and now we're in the U.S. But we think there'll be a lot of benefits for clients and for us as a company. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's kind of interesting to know, you had mentioned before, so you can have a certificate in another country, which you're, you said it was in Malta. You can't bring that to the United States and operate off of that same certificate. So you have to get a new one. That's right. Right. So aircraft are in registered, U.S. registered. If they want to do commercial flying, they need to be on a U.S.-based certificate. So it's the same in the international markets. If you want to let's say, do charter in Europe, you need to be on a European AOC. So we have the Maltese AOC that we, we operate the aircraft commercially in Europe, and now we have the U.S. Part 135 certificate that we can operate commercially in Europe. All sorts of regulations and rules in there. <laughs> yes, and there's lots of ownership restrictions around owning, say, air operator certificates in Europe and, and the U.S. It's the same in Canada as well. I mean, I'm in Canada. Uh, each individual country has their own laws and requirements around ownership. Yep, makes sense, which I find that, you know, you guys may created and started a lot of these companies. You had to really wade through all of the regulations and probably learn as you go to create these companies, which are obviously successful. Any suggestions maybe for somebody else who's trying to start up, maybe go out on their own and start something new? I think you really have to want to be your own boss in a sense. I know when I was working at Pobarje, I learned a lot at Pobarje. I had a lot of great experiences there, but I always felt like I wanted to go out and try it for myself. You know, can I run my own business? Mm -hmm. I think, number one, you have to have the desire to, to do it. Number two, I think you need to be ready for anything um, uh -huh. okay. because when you found a business, you're, you're really the business. So you're responsible for everything, sales, marketing, you know, accounting, finding an office, setting up the phone system, I mean, lots of different things that you have to be willing to do. And, you know, I, I worked with people who, as I sort of say, are big company people, you know, they, they like having the expense account. They like travel mm. business class you know they like having an admin assistant when you're starting your own business there's none of that right yeah so you you've got to be okay with that. and i remember when i left bombardier and i i founded zenith jet i was working out of my basement you know so i went from you know the the corporate job to working in my basement trying mm. to find my first customer and <laughs> it was let's say humble i bet yes i bet Oh my gosh, that's yeah. You probably had a very nice, fancy office with a lot of benefits, and yep. But then I bet you're able to also see. This is where I started. I was in my basement, and this is what it's doing now. It's basically got two sections of it. I mean, successful. Um, I, I, I don't suppose I really think about it like that. I, I find running a business is is a marathon. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of problems to solve, so it, you, you just sort of roll with the punches. And 
you know, you have an idea in your head of where you would like the business to go mm-hmm. and you try and achieve that. There, there are lots of goals that I wanted to achieve that I, I didn't for various reasons, but, you know, sort of as one door closed, another one opened mm-hmm. and you just need to be flexible because things, all sorts of things happen that you, you can't anticipate. Like for example, you know, the European business was heavily impacted by Russia and Ukraine. Uh-huh. Um, there's nothing I can do about that. It, it is what it is. So right. it's really just a case of how do you react and, and how do you deal with it? Because there, there's, there's just things that happen that you cannot control. It's really the only thing you can control is how you react. So my experience in the business has been you, you just look at what's in front of you and, and try and figure out a way to sort of stay on the track and, and keep going. Mm-hmm. And I've always been, sometimes to my own detriment, very interested in being involved in a lot of different things. I wouldn't say I'm a very focused person. I like to be lots of irons in the fire, uh, which sounds the opposite of what you would get from anybody who says, you need to focus. But I enjoy that. I enjoy that part of being involved in different businesses. Yeah, I know. I think that is probably a sign of a good entrepreneur. You know, oftentimes I think they probably aren't focused on one thing or you would only do one thing. I mean, I find myself that you have to be have your hands in all sorts of different things because you never know which one's going to work out because if A, B, and C don't work out, but D, E, and F might, or maybe A works and, and F doesn't, and you need to be able to pivot, pivot and just jump in. But if you're only doing one thing at a time, it's a lot slower, maybe. Yeah, I think to people, entrepreneurs, they, they see an opportunity. They, they go for it. And I, I know, having worked with a lot of good entrepreneurs, that you know, I, I remember one time I went for a coffee with one, and we were just sitting there, and he, he saw something happening. And he started saying to me, oh, I think there's a great business opportunity there. And, you know, it was, it was in the coffee shop. Like he was talking about something related to the coffee shop, but it was just the way he was, his mind was engineered. It was like, oh, I, I see an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, kind of made me laugh. That, that's just the way he lives. He, yeah. Always thinking about opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think when you get into a business, you, you do see other opportunities and the question you have to ask yourself is, can I pursue them based on what I'm doing now? Mm-hmm. Or should I, should I just stick to my knitting and try and, try and do what I, I set out to do? Right. Um, I always tried to, you know, get into businesses that I felt like I could make a pretty good contribution to and work with partners that I really wanted to work with. That's you know, important. Some, had some bad experiences with, with not great partners. Uh-huh. And, you know, if I could give anybody any advice, it would be make sure you really can work with your partners in good and bad times. Yep. Good advice. Because it can be really challenging to work with a bad partner that you don't agree with. And, you know, you're not on the same page because a lot of times you're going to spend a lot of time with that partner. You know, if you can get along and, and work together, that that's great. 
Right. And you guys are making big decisions. I mean, you're making the decisions that are going to make or break your company. That's really good advice. Yep. That's very good advice. I liked what you said. You know, you and I talked just a little bit before we started recording, but I liked what you said about Azera.com when you were creating that is because you wanted to have something with purpose. I don't know. I'm not sure if you have a moment to talk about that, but I think that's important. And a lot of us are looking for that. Yeah. When I was at RJ, I mean, I, I, I ended up at Bombard J sort of by accident. You could almost say, you know, I graduated from my MBA. I needed a job. I got hired by Bombard J and it was great. I, you know, it was a corporate job. I was learning a lot there, but like a lot of people, you know, had to pay the mortgage and support the family. Mm -hmm. And that, that was why I, I sort of ended up in the business aviation business. When I founded my first business, it was really, again, around, I need to make it successful because I need to pay the mortgage mm-hmm. you know, and, and pay for yep. everything else. So that was the drive there. But I think, you know, as time went on, especially with my kids, they're thinking about all sorts of different things. You know, environmental issues are, are a big issue for them. Yep. Uh, and I started seeing you know, with the EU ETS program, it started opening my eyes to the impact of business aviation on the environment and me saying to myself, okay, what could I do about it? Because I didn't want to get to a point in my life where I said I should have done something. Yeah. Um, so whether Azera is a success or not, I can at least say to myself, I tried. So yeah. That's the point of Azera for me is it, as a purpose that is more than just, you know, money. Mm-hmm. When I founded the other businesses, it was really about supporting the family and, and, and everything else. Yeah. Now it's really about doing something that potentially could have a bigger impact. Whether it does or not, I, I feel good about the fact that I'm trying. I'm yeah. working with a good co-founder in Pooja. Uh, we have a good team and... I, I think what we are trying to do makes a lot of sense. Um, so Sounds great. And we'll definitely put the link to the company down at the bottom. So in case anybody's looking, uh, you know, listening, they can find you. I'm, I'll wrap it up here soon, but I did have one more question. I noticed on your profile that you have a degree in economics and an MBA. Economics seems like it's not an aviation-related uh, degree. What was the, why economics and how has it helped you? Cause I no doubt believe that it has helped along the way, but how, how did you, I guess, combine that with aviation? I, I always liked sort of how does the world work financially? So when I decided I was going to study, I, I liked the idea of economics and, you know, international trade. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing an undergraduate degree in economics. And, you know, when I got to the end, I sort of said to myself, how am I going to get a job with this? And that's, it, it was very theoretical economics. It's very much, you know, sneeders paribus. You know, if you hold this constant and you change this input, something else will happen. But in, in the real world, in my experience, that never happens. Everything's always changing all the time, but it's how do you deal with that? So 
that's why I went and did an MBA because I, I felt like an MBA was a good grounding in all the things I would need to run a business. You know, people have this impression that you know, it's a master's of business aviation. Um, everything you're learning in the MBA is, is, is really, it's a condensed bachelor of commerce. So they're teaching you a little bit about everything, a little bit about finance, a little bit about marketing, a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, managing people, things like that, which I found helped me just understand the different parts of running a business. And it, in the end, helped me get hired by Bombardier. So I've used the economics and the, the MBA to help me sort of think through running the business. And, and yes, they were not aviation related, but aviation in the end is still a business. Um, yeah. There's lots of technical parts to aviation, but in the end, it's a combination of the technical and the financial. So it's, it's helped me grow my businesses in aviation. The businesses I'm in are very international. Aviation is a great international business. You know, I'm, my business Zenith Jet is based in Canada. But I think probably for the first six or seven years, we had no Canadian clients. Every client oh, is international. That's yeah. So so that, that's just the nature of the business. It's, yep. it's gone global in a sense. And when I was at Bombardier there, I was sort of there when the, the sales were heavily focused on the U.S. So, mm-hmm. you know, 80% of the sales were to U.S. clients. But in a space of like two or three years, it flipped the other way. And 80% of the, the clients were international. And, and so they made this distinction between international and U.S. But international is such a big market. You know, the, the Russian clients are different than the Chinese clients, different than the Middle Eastern clients, different than the African clients. Mm-hmm. So in the businesses that I'm in, you know, I'm dealing with clients from all over the place and you have to deal with the different cultures and expectations. So I, I enjoy that part of it. You know, understanding different cultures. It's good. It is cool. That's super interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, you get to learn a lot when you are a business owner and creator. Yeah, it's never, <laughs> never a dull. Some of it not. Right. <laughs> yes. Yep. Never a dull moment there. That's right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today. In case somebody wanted to reach out to you, maybe they had more questions about one of your companies or perhaps your pathway. How would they get a hold of you? Uh, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. They can, my contact information is there. My email cool. that I use the most, I would say, is nick, N-I-C-K at zenithjet.com. Great. All right. Sounds good. So reach out if you guys have any questions there. Thank you again, Nick, very much for your time. Yeah, I really appreciate all the knowledge that you've passed along today. It's great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes. And check out our website for up-and-coming podcasts. This has been a production of the Business Aviation Collective, sponsored by LD Aviation.